Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Thanks for listening. So, what is your favorite food? Favorite food? Someone might say this morning, well, it's fruits and vegetables, that salad that I'm looking forward to here in 50 minutes. Uh, You know, the greens and the fruits and the nuts and the salad. Somebody might say, well, it's fish. If I could only, you're just thinking about that filet of fish. Um, Maybe it's surf and turf, right? So you're thinking, all right. A big, a, a big steak along with my seafood, or um, if you're Pastor Chuck, it's going to be something um, of the pork variety that's been on a grill for a while, all right? Favorite food. Well, why would you ask me that? Uh, just to mess with you for the next 50 minutes as your stomach is grumbling on? No. My mom used to cook um, food morning, noon, and night, and she fed me for all the years that I lived at home. I can tell you I don't remember all of those meals. I do know that uh, as a result of that, I grew and got strong, and um, I was well-nourished as a kid, no problem. There was the occasional time where she made something I wasn't particularly fond of, And what I'm thinking of right now is tuna casserole with peas. I didn't look forward to that. It wasn't my favorite. Don't be dropping that off at my house this week, folks. It's not funny. Now, I've learned to appreciate it. There's stuff in there I don't, as a kid, I didn't care for. You know what? There are times in the spiritual food that we get. We, so I don't remember everything that um, I learned last week or the week before. I mean, that's the thing when we, we as pastors, we'll, we'll talk to people and say, well, you know, what, what did you get from last week's message? And, and I, I, there have been times I've gone home, you know, that week and I've talked to my wife or my kids and there's too long a pause. So, uh, you know, what was it? They'll, they'll usually get something that they remember, but... We don't always like, this morning is maybe one of those tuna casserole moments for you. We're talking this morning about finances, finances. So people say, well, that's not exactly what I like to hear about. What is amazing, though, is Jesus knew something about the condition of heart. And in fact, what he said was, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So some, some people this morning might be sitting just a little bit harder on their wallets and say, what is he going to say that affects the money that's in my pocket? Take your Bibles, open them up, turn them on, and join me in locating the New Testament book of Luke chapter 16. That's our text for this morning. And if you know Luke chapter 16, you know that this is kind of a well, I'll say it, kind of a goofy passage. 
You look at it and you say, what does that mean? And how am I going to apply that to my life? We're looking at one of Jesus' parables as recorded by the gospel writer Luke in chapter 16. In short, talking about finances. Could be a long series on this topic. We're just hitting the, the top side of the story today. Luke 16, notice verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And so he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong. So he, he, he gets called in to the master and he realizes that he's about to get fired and, and, and he's, his job is, is going away, and what is he going to do? And he looks at himself and says, listen, I'm not strong enough to dig. You know, physical labor, uh, that's not something I want to do. And I'm ashamed to beg. So he says, I know what I'll do, verse 4. Um, when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. This is what I'm going to do. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, so... There were people that owed his master money, his master's debtors, and he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Cut it in half. And then he asked the second, well, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Anybody ticked off yet? I mean, if you're an owner, you're the master, you're going, what? Those were, you know, that's accounts payable. What is happening here? I, I fired this guy, and he goes out, and the guy that owed me 900, he cut to 450. The guy that owed me 1,000, he cut to 800. This is, this is messed up. If, if you're messed up now, wait till you hear verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. All right, this is getting crazy. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So, notice a couple of things. Oftentimes in Jesus' parables, there's a there's a person in the parable that represents God. In this parable, there's not a person that represents God. The manager, of course, doesn't represent God, and neither does the rich man. The rich man is not God. He, they are people of the world. They are, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than people of the light. So now we understand a little bit who's in the story, and we're beginning to see a contrast between the people of the world and the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth. Jesus is, by the way, teaching disciples, and as we find out at the end, that there were some uh, Sadducees and Pharisees that were uh, listening in. Uh, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted 
with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trusty, trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. He's, he's saying, listen, what, where, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. And he goes, and I can see from your, exa- your, your love of money what you value highly, and that's detestable in God's sight. Have you noticed in the news uh, some of the things of finance that are going on? There's always financial news. Most recently, the United Auto Workers Union. Um, I believe this is the first time that members of the UAW have, have struck all three unionized U.S. automakers at the same time. The UAW expanded, UAW expanded its strike against major car makers on Friday. Um, by the way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be down the middle on this, so if you're still holding your breath about what he's about to say next, just relax, okay? I understand, I understand we come from a mixed crew of blue work, blue-collar workers and um, white-collar workers. So everybody just relax, okay? Um. <laughs> um, the strike was expanded this last week. Walking out of 38 parts distribution centers operated by General Motors and also Jeep and Ram, owner of um, Stellantis in 20 states. I think Ford may have been spared some further shutdowns. There's some ambitious demands that have been made. 40% pay raises. The hourly wage for most UAW members at GM, Ford, um, and Stellantis, currently the average is around $32.32. They're pushing for a 32 hour, four day work week uh, but still being paid for 40 hours per week, along with some other benefit improvements. No matter what side you tend to take in those, those kinds of things, it, it gets your attention. It gets your attention. Money always does. The largest jackpot lottery to date, a Powerball drawing was won on November 7th, 2022. Ticket was sold at Joe's Service Center in Altadena, California. Edwin Castro, won an astounding 2.04 B billion with a B dollars. <laughs> it tends to get your attention. Back on August 9th, 2023, a Mega Millions jackpot was won, a measly 1.58 B with a billion <laughs> dollars was won. The after tax cash payout was $783.3 million. I know for some of you, I have just derailed your thinking because it's going to take everything you have to focus back on Scripture and not try and figure out what you do with $783.3 million. 
money gets our attention. Some people have a heart for the things of the world. Madonna sings a song entitled Material World. The lyrics go something like this. We are living in a material world, and I am a material girl. How many of you know that song? You shouldn't. What are you listening to Madonna for? <laughs> that was a trick question. The song fits the lifestyle of much of the world today, though. We're living in a material world. We're a material people. Uh, this last week, I read the story of a, of a mother who saw her, her two-year-old boy swallow a nickel. Um, and she went into recovery mode, immediately picked him up, you know, turned him upside down, hit him sharply in the back. And to her amazement, she saw him swallow a nickel, but to her amazement, he coughed up two dimes. She realized he'd swallowed more money than she first believed. She called out to her husband. She goes, Billy just swallowed a nickel, and now he's coughed up two dimes. What should I do? <laughs> Dad yells back, keep feeding him nickels. <laughs> uh, that there's funny. People like money-making machines and schemes. Jesus spoke... 37 parables we have recorded in the Bible, and, and, and 17, almost half of them, were about money and possessions and the use of material things. So why so much attention on material things from Jesus? Probably because it gets our attention, and there's little else that impacts and touches our lives more in every way than material stuff. Money affects every area of our life. No wonder Jesus spent a great deal of time teaching on the subject. It's been said that America is one of the wealthiest nations in the world, but also one of the most depressed nations in the world. There's more to life than stuff. One true life, um, life is, has, there's meaning and purpose in life um, more, than, more than stuff, and it has to do with when God is number one priority. Howard Hughes, if, if money brought happiness, then Howard Hughes should have been the happiest man alive. At one point, one of the richest men on the earth materially. He, he, oh, but yet, even though he had so much, what he always wanted was more. I just want something more. He wanted more money. He, he wanted more fame. He broke into the Hollywood scene. He became an actor. He wanted more sensual pleasure. He paid some handsome sums to indulge in every sexual urge he had. He wanted more thrills. He designed and built a, a plane, uh, piloted the fastest aircraft in the world at the time. He wanted more power. He, he secretly dealt political favors so skillfully that uh, at least two U.S. presidents became his pawns. All he ever wanted was more, more. He was absolutely convinced that more would bring him true satisfaction. Unfortunately, History shows otherwise. He concluded his life a man physically emaciated. They said his teeth were rotting black. His fingernails were so long they were curling and tumors on the skin that looked like, his skin looked like a pin cushion from the, all the needle marks from his drug addiction. He, he died believing the myth, the myth of more. He died a billionaire junkie insane by all reasonable standards. Now, let me just say this clearly. Nowhere, nowhere in God's word 
can I find a place where it says that it is wrong to have possessions or to be wealthy? When I think of some of the great characters of Scripture, I think of King David who was wealthy, his son who was very wealthy, Abraham was wealthy. There were very many examples of very wealthy people in Scripture. Nowhere in God's words does it say that it is wrong to have possessions, but what is wrong is it's a sin when the, position, the possessions have you. In fact, people say, well, the Bible says that the money is the root of all evil. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. Look at what it says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. It says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. It's, it's the love of money. It's the, it's the desire for more. In 1967, freshmen were polled whether it was more important to be well off financially or to discover a meaningful philosophy of life. And the vast majority polled chose meaningful philosophy of life in 1967. In a similar poll in 1986, 80% responded that it was more important to be well off financially. We live in a material world. And somehow, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he knows that even people in the church believe that the world owes them a material world. That somehow think life is about stuff and how to get more stuff. We think that life owes us financial security. We think that what matters in life is stuff. He who dies with the most toys wins. No, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And I've never seen a hearse with a hitch. You don't pull a U-Haul with a hearse. You came in naked, you'll go back out without anything. The love of money and what it gets and what it gets us, and how often we value money, is not a thing that pleases God. Well, here we are in this gospel reading today. We, we're learning how to behave around money. There's a key word to understanding this whole thing, and I want to point you to it right off the bat. Verses 10, 11, and 12. Depending on what version of the Bible you have, you'll see the word translated a little differently. In some versions, it will say faithful or faithfulness. In other versions, it will simply say trust or trustworthy. It is a key to understand, are, are you being faithful and trustworthy with your finances? Now, commentators will tell you that this is a difficult ta uh, text to deal with. It, the story, though, sign, sounds pretty contemporary. When I, when I think about that, somebody who, who is, is being fired because they've been unethical somehow in dealing with uh, a company's finances, um, I think, wasn't it, sounds like the new, wasn't it, um, I believe the story broke this last week where another politician recently was indicted with bribery offenses using his official position in exchange for gold bars and cash and, and convertibles to benefit the government of Egypt and some other businessmen. There was something about that in the news. Um, in fact, um, uh, it was ironic to me when I saw it. Um, I, I saw a news blip. Um, one, of the, one, of the, one of our elected officials, uh, Fetterman, um, who was I think of the same tribe as this gentleman um, thinks it's, it's too much to put up with and, and we ought to 
you know, that he ought to just step down. So if, if Fetterman thinks it's too much, it must be a hot mess. Um, so in this story, a rich man who had a manager and charges are brought against him, he's squandering property. And, and he's about to lose his job. He has lost his job because he's misspent his employer's assets. And he doesn't want to do manual labor. He doesn't want to go beg. And so he does something that when you think about it, it's, it's not being held up. It's, it's you know, the, the encouragement today is, is not to somehow um, it, um, embezzle money from your employer or somehow to go out and, and, and create secret deals. But what he did was he, he, went, he went to those who owed his, his master and he cut a deal. And his, here was his thinking. He said, listen, if, if somehow I can make friends with them, if I, can, if I can somehow get them on my good side. Now there's some people who would say, um, it, was, it was all noble because he, he went and he just simply cut off his, his portion of the commission. That maybe that's what he had coming and so he reduced that amount um, to, to, to try and somehow you know, um, you know, show, show his owner that, that it was, you know, he still had some moral fiber. Uh, I suppose that's a possibility. Some commentators have said that's a possibility. Um, more often than not, that's not how this passage is interpreted. It's like, if I can go and I can, I can make some friends with these people, instead of being out on the street, at least afterwards, they're gonna, I did them a favor, I scratched their back, now they're going to scratch mine. I helped them, so now they're going to help me. And when he does this, and the master hears about it, verse 8, he, he commends him. He commends him for it. Now, uh, normally, normally that's not what you would say a master would like to hear. But look at verse 8. The children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So this manager and this rich man are in one camp. They're not children of the light. They are people of the world. And it says they, they are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than people of the light. So there, there may be a situation where they say, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll overlook what you're doing, you overlook what I'm doing, and, and we'll both be better off for it. And, and Jesus calls both the rich man and the manager children of this age or people of this world as opposed to people of the light. So they're both living outside the light of the kingdom of God. So the rich man isn't God, he's just a rich man who also happens to be a man of the world. He also has a dishonest manager. And, the, and what the, the dishonest manager has done here is, well, first of all, he's, he's stolen in style. You've got to give him style points for this. He's got some, some, some oomph in his, his ability to think through things. I mean, he, he, he's rolling the dice here. His former employee doesn't mind because if the situation reversed, he, he probably would have done the same kind of thing. Probably that might have been how he got rich in the first place. Remember, he too was a man of the world. Jesus calls them both children of this age, children of this world, not children of light. So what, what should we learn from this? <laughs> Jesus does not want us to go and rip off our employers. This lesson is about contrasts. If you look at verses 9 through 13, we find some lessons where Jesus wants us to learn about money. 
Now, to our surprise, the employer commends the dishonest manager for shrewdness. And why does Luke include this story in the Gospels? Um, why is our dishonest manager shrewd? Well, it seems to point out this truth, that even though he was a sinner who was looking out for his own interests, he, there's something in his behavior that the disciples might emulate. And here's why. Instead of doing nothing, he did something. Remember if, some time ago we talked about a, uh, a servant who had money who did nothing, who said, I know that you're a, a master who's hard and, and you harvest where you haven't planted and all those kinds of things. And it says he, he did nothing. He did nothing. There's something here that, um, at least from a negative example, can I pull out something positive? You, you have a responsibility to, 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 to be a good manager of the resources that God has given you. There, there's a responsibility that you have. And so rather than saying, Here's, here's what the, the world owes me. Let's turn that around and take a look and say, what, what is it that is owed? But first of all, when, when it comes to dealing with finances, you have to do something. And, and one of the most significant things here is the perspective that is, is in the rich man and in the shrewd manager, the dishonest manager, compared to a person who is walking the light. So here's the first thing. You have to make a commitment to be a person, make a choice to be a part of the children of light. Be a part of the children of light. Say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to, I realize that the resources that I have, the finances that you've blessed me with, great or small, I'm going to be faithful with them. If you're faithful a little, you can be faithful with much. If you're not faithful with a little, why would anybody trust you with more? And you say, I'm going to be one of the children of light. I'm going to have a, a Christian perspective, a, not a worldly materialistic perspective, a Christian perspective of how to deal with finances. Commit your life to Christ. Manage his resources appropriately. You have a choice to make about what team you're going to be on. Are you going to be part of the children of light or are you going to be part of the children of the world? Are, are you going to be uh, someone who says, listen, I'm going to tie into God's economy and how, how he wants me to to, to manage my resources, or I'm going to go just by the world's view. Now, from way, the way it appears, there's no middle ground. You can't say, well, I'm kind of in this thing halfway. As far as God is concerned, you're in darkness until you come into light. And the key to moving from darkness into light is putting your trust in Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and then also say, listen, I will follow, I will follow him. I, I will do what I have called, what he's called me to do. I will follow him. Now, here's the second thing. Be a part of the children of light. And here's the second thing. You, you literally are a manager of God's resources. You will give an account of what he has entrusted to you. Being trustworthy is rewarded. Do something with what you have is what is expected. Your faithfulness is rewarded. Whatever is faithful in, in, in very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a little is going to be dishonest also in much. See, the question is, can God trust you with more? If he can't trust you with a little, he is not going to trust you with more. People say, I want more. In God's economy, he, he, one of the things that I, that I often, I pray, I pray God's blessing on his people. I pray God's blessing on you. 
And oftentimes, it's not always the case, God blesses oftentimes in proportion to our ability to be blessed. So it's one of those situations where you say, listen, is my, is, am, am I a child of, of the light? Am I going to be faithful with what I have? Um, I want God to entrust me with true riches. Will he entrust me with, with um, you know, small things? Have I been faithful with that? Jesus pictures the Christian life as a bit like a test. There's a test here. He's saying, if we can be faithful to Jesus on a day-to-day basis, there's a reward to come. He, he leaves it a little bit vague, what the reward will be. It could be in this life. It could be in the life to come. It could be both. But the point is faithfulness, trustworthiness is rewarded. So what might faithfulness look like in your situation? Well, it's the opposite of the manager in the parable. Instead of squandering resources and robbing our boss, we act with honesty, integrity in everything we do. It's about being trustworthy with money. It's about keeping promises. It's about being honest in expressing um, um, you know, you're turning in expense reports. It's, it's about working hard for your contracted hours. It's about not stealing in any way from the company. In other words, being completely reliable. But it's not just the workplace. You're faithful. If you're faithful with a little, he'll, fa- he'll, he'll trust you with much. You can be faithful to your school. You can be faithful with your friends. You can be faithful to keep your promises. Faithful to treat others like you want to be treated. All of those same ideas also apply in, in business. Look, if the, only way, if the only way as an entrepreneur, you, if the only way that you can be an entrepreneur in your line of business is, is by ripping off your customers, maybe it's time to choose another business. You see? Now, quickly, let's, I want to move to the third thing. Invest in kingdom priorities. So, be a part of the children of light. Commit to that philosophy, to that worldview. Um, your life is hidden with Christ. And you say, listen, not only in, in, with my words and affirmation, but how I live out my life with my finances, it's going to be for Jesus. I'm going to be faithful manager of God's, of God's resources, all that he's trusted to me. And then this thing, be generous to invest in kingdom priorities. What are you doing with what God has given you? Can you be trusted with true riches? That's a kingdom priority. It's a sowing and reaping principle. It's something God told us to test him in. There's, in the Old Testament, there was this principle of tithing. A tithe it literally means tenth, a tenth percent of the, their income, um, their, their first fruits. It was supposed to be at, at the beginning, not at the end. It wasn't when they offered sacrifices. It wasn't supposed to be the runt. It was supposed to be the, the perfect lamb. So that they would offer, particularly in the Old Testament, there was Old Testament um, tithing. 10% of your income you would, you would bring and you would offer to the Lord. In the New Testament, you say, well, listen, um, you know, in the New Testament, it's something completely different. Well, it is and it isn't. What it is in the New Testament, um, the, a 10% was never intended in the New Testament to be, to be the ceiling, to be the, the greatest amount. So listen, um, the whole idea of, of giving, the, whole, the spirit of generosity, what, what does that look like? It doesn't mean that it has to be limited to, to 10%. Um, and by the way, this, this is for Christians. If you're not a Christian, this is not going to make any sense, right? And people will say to me or say about the church oftentimes, well, you know, I don't go to church because they're always talking about money. Well, first of all, you know that's not true. Uh, but number two, when we do, we go biblical 
Um, but we're not talking to non-Christians. I'm, I'm talking to the faithful ones, the, the people of the light, right? The principle of the New Testament is, is that 10% shouldn't be a limit. In fact, um, I, I, I knew of a man who reversed tithe. He, he, he gave 90% of his income. He lived off of 10. Now, his, his 10% of income was substantial, <laughs> all right? But he was in a place where God had so blessed him that he could reverse tithe. Um, I, I have, I have um, recently talked to a person who heard a testimony of someone who has a business who, 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 who tithes up to 80% for kingdom work. In any case, um, a standard for giving, a tithe, a tenth. Giving generously is one of the values at Summit Church. And watch this in Malachi. Um, the, the prophet Malachi, he's the, um, the Italian prophet, you know, in, uh, in the Old Testament, Malachi. Um, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and 10. Should people cheat God? There's a question. Somebody want to try to get away, get away with that? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me out of the tithes and the offerings due to me. You're under a curse. For your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven, of heaven's armies, I will watch this. So in scripture, oftentimes you find, here's what, here's what God is asking you to do, and then here's what he will do. It's the this and then therefore, or there's this connection point. And he says, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. It's the only place in scripture I know of when, when God says, test me on this one. When you honor God with the first part of your earnings, you invite him into your financial life and he will engage himself supernaturally in your financial affairs. And when we don't do that, God says, you're cheating me. He wants to be involved with you and your finances. He wants to reassure you that you're not alone. He wants to prove that he cares for you, fill you up with peace and contentment. He wants to use you to touch someone else's life through your generosity. It's the only place in the Bible where God challenges us to put him to the test. You know, <laughs> the church owns a couple of lousy garden hoses. They're awful, I gotta tell you. We must have got a good deal on them somewhere because we had four or five, five of them, and they were lousy. I hate those garden hoses. Over the years, I have secretly been doing away with them. <laughs> we, we will take a garden hose, run it across the worship center, we'll hook up to the water, and we'll fill a baptistry, and it's just, I mean, I feel like I need to get baptized again after the experience because it always kinks. I don't care what you do. Somebody looks at it and it folds itself over. It is the lousiest garden hose. I literally, I've, thrown, I've thrown away most of them. Um, um, here's, okay, so let's... Let's go confession time. Here, I, I made a mistake. I, I was so mad one time about that garden hose. 
I went to one of our local dealers and I bought, I said, I'm going to buy a hose. We bought a red hose that is like an inch thick. It's so heavy now nobody uses it. <laughs> I wasted money on a red hose that's so good that nobody can carry it. It just, but it doesn't kink. <laughs> and when we need, and when we need, you know, we, stuff down the, the way, the hill, whatever, we always start with those hoses, you know, those big red hoses because, you know, from there it's just, hate that hose. We still have a couple of them around. Um, Pastor Caleb puts up with it. Me, not so much. I see that in people's lives when it comes to God's blessing. They have a kinked hose. They wonder why. Where's, where's the blessing of God in my life? What is, what is happening? Why does that feel like I'm alone? You know, God, you know, I'm... I, I, I'm I'm coming to church. I'm reading my Bible. I've committed my life to you. Have you taken the step of letting him baptize your wallet? One of the pastors, pastor to church in Texas, Dr. W.A. Criswell, First Baptist Church of Dallas, tells a story about one time a man who was coming down the stairs to the, the baptistry. He was, he was going to be baptized, and he was coming down the stairs, and he stopped about halfway through, and he, he reached into his pocket, and he held, he goes, just a minute, he said, I, I forgot to take out, you know, to remove my wallet. Criswell said he grabbed him as fast as he could and dunked him, put him in the water, and he goes, all my life I've wanted to make sure that somebody's wallet was also baptized. All my life, I wanted to baptize a man's billfold. Think about it. So all these blessings, what are the things? Why, why wouldn't God choose to bless you? See, I think as much as anything, it's not that he doesn't want to, but does he trust you? Can he trust you? I'm going to ask the team to come. They're going to lead us in our closing song. When we hear some word from God, the point is there's a response that we have to have. You see, what, what I'm in my life, um, I, I love to bless people. I, I know God loves to bless people. I love people... Um, when, when their lives are under the spigot of God's blessing and he can pour out all that he wants to in your life. And here's one of those very practical ways where our obedience to what his word says turns on the hose of his blessing in our life. Close with a story. John Maxwell, pastor of church in... California. He had a man in his church who, who approached him. He said, listen, he goes, I've got a financial question for you, Pastor John. Here's the financial question. He said, here's, here's my problem. He goes, I, I became a Christian. I began to follow Jesus, and, and, and I uh, took the full counsel of God, and, and I understood this thing on God being in charge of my finances. He said, at the time, I was making $200 a week, and so he said, um, Every Sunday I would come and I'd bring $20. 10% of my income from that week, 
I would give to God, and I was glad to do it, and he was blessing me. In fact, he blessed me so much, Pastor John, I'm not making $200 a week anymore, I'm making $2,000 a week. Pastor John was all excited. So, well, that's good. He goes, yeah, well, here's the problem. I'm finding that it's a lot harder to give up, to let go of $200 a week than it was $20 a week. You see, when I made 200, 10% was 20. When I make 2,000, it's not 200. That's more than a lot of people give per week. Is God expecting me to give 200 per week? What is, I'm finding that that's difficult. So what do I do with that? Pastor John grabbed him, put him down in prayer. He began to pray a prayer something like this. He said, Father God, my friend here is coming to you. He needs help. Yeah, apparently, you have blessed him, but now he's having problems with his finances. It's connected to the way you've blessed him. Lord, I pray that you would bring out some events of his life that would take him back to the place where he only has to give $20 a week. The guy jumped up and he goes, wait, hold it. That's not at all what I think I want to have happen. Isn't it so silly? Isn't it so silly of us? Think about this. There are some this morning in this room who would trust Jesus with their eternity, but they won't trust him with their billfold. Preposterous. Ludicrous. Insane, even, maybe. How are you going to get your life as a child of the light, walking not according to the ways of the world, but the ways of God in a place where he can bless you. Test the Lord and see. So that is my prayer that as you hear word this morning, that you would respond in faith. Is Christ enough? Do you want more of him or do you need want more of the world? If you will submit to Christ and your desires become like his, he will give you the desires of your heart and your life because they'll be in line and he'll be glad to bless you. Lord, help us to understand this word, to put it into practice with a smile on our face and faith to be obedient. I pray in your name. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church 